everybody. Today is Wednesday, May 25th, and this is episode 7 of the CNC Sportscast. We're happy to have you here. And let's go ahead and jump right into the first the first topic of the day, which will be just going over some of the recent news since we've been kind of MIA for the past week or so. Some of the biggest news we'll see um, in the NFL uh, Deshaun Watson continues his case, and they're, they're investigating. So we're still yet to see exactly uh, if he's going to miss any time or what that time's going to look like. Uh, hopefully, we get more on that soon. Um, what else we got? Oh, the NFL discussing the future of the Pro Bowl, including possibly eliminating the whole uh, the whole game. So, uh, Mo, I'll let you feel this one. What do you think about the possibilities of there not being a Pro Bowl game? Uh, I feel like over the last couple of the years, the Pro Bowl is kind of, you know, I mean, it's already almost not like a game, you know, with the low level of content or contact. And I agree. I don't think that anyone should get injured in the Pro Bowl. And I think it would be a good idea if they were able to trade it in for like a skills competition, like more to stuff like the dodgeball or maybe if they could do like a benching competition or like a 40-yard dash. And they could still do the same thing, like, you know, they could add up points from each event, and, like, the NFC or the ASC, whoever has the most points, they can donate to, like, a charity of their choice. But I think there's, you know, more creative ways they can do it and better ways for both the players and the fans to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been talking about this, and this has been a big conversation, I think, especially for the last few years, as much as the Pro Bowl has become basically a joke. So, uh, I, I – I think the best – I have this idea, and I think it was a really good idea, that what the NFL should do is have it where you have challenge – like, because some of the biggest success for the NFL has been stuff like the dodgeball competition and some of the other throwing competitions they do. So I think what they should do is, uh, like, for the skills players, I think it would be cool if they did something like put them into divisions. Like, you form a seven-on-seven team within your division instead of your conference – and then they do like a seven-on-seven seven tournament, like round-robin tournament or whatever. And then maybe the winners of that tournament get uh, like some extra money or some cash or something. But I think it'd be interesting to watch that tournament play out. You could do it over a week's time or something. And then for the linemen, do like you said, like do some fun stuff. Like they used to have the bench competition in a, uh, like years back that people enjoyed. I mean, even you can do fun stuff since he's got our, our – season's already over and you could do like i don't know like hot dogging contest you know some fun stuff to get the fans more involved in and and like stuff that'll actually make them enjoy but so honestly if the pro bowl disappeared i wouldn't be that disappointed i would be kind of disappointed because we had that off week if they didn't supplement something in for that like a seven on seven tournament or a bench competition you know more competitions every day to get people to um to a watch i definitely think that's the way to go um, in other news, uh, Car- uh, Carolina Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold gets the cap of the week award when he said he's confident he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So, uh, yeah, no, that ain't going to happen. I'm sorry. Um, Kyler Murray not at – not as – or sorry. Kyler Murray to skip Arizona Cardinals OTAs this week. So, uh, Another QB situation that you want to keep your eye on to see what's going to be going on there. Especially, it'll be interesting because also in other news, it was announced that Cardinals are going to be featured on the season edition of Hard Knocks. So, Mo, that, that'll be interesting to see kind of how that plans out and maybe even goes into that 
that season and see kind of what happens to him. And now with the Hopkins suspension too, that'll be kind of an interesting show to watch. Um, sorry to get a drink. Um, let's see what else we had. Uh, the Giants. Oh, sorry. James X New York giant, James Bradbury, the corner signs a one year deal with the Eagles. So Eagles adding some DB depth there. Um, and Michael Fix says he will – oh, sorry, sorry. Before that, quarterback Nick Foles signs with the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, in case something happens to Matt Ryan, they have a good backup plan there. And then the, the other thing I was going to say is Michael Vick said he's not going to play any fan-controlled football league and that he's officially retired. So that's kind of some interesting news there. Um, as far as other sports, I mean, obviously we'll have NBA and NHL playoff action – uh, that we'll be talking about um, later. Um, there was a big hit collision in the NFL between Milan Lucic and Edmonton Oilers goal with Ender Mike Smith in game three. That was kind of a big topic in that game. Um, there was a, a, There's been some crazy scoring in the past few games. Evander Kane got a hat trick the other night, which was awesome to watch. Um, but as far as major news in the NHL, I don't think I have any major news. Uh, Mo, you know of any major NBA news that isn't, you know, big um, playoff? Well, the draft lottery was last week. And so they picked uh, 1 through 14 for the draft. And uh, the top three are the Magic, the Thunder, and the Rockets, which is always good to see, I believe. Let's see. So the Rockets fell down a couple spots. Uh, to number three there, but they're projected that one. The Magic went up one, and there's a couple interesting teams. I mean, the uh, Thunder, you know, starting their rebuild. They have both number twelve and number two right now, and um, the Pelicans acquired that pick from the Lakers via that Anthony Davis trade a little bit ago, and so now they have picked number eight after the Lakers kind of had you know a little trouble season. And so it's always good to see the draft lottery and hopefully these teams are able to, you know, pick up a young superstar, especially these teams that really need it are in a rebuild phase or a team like the Pelicans that could be maybe a piece or two away from playoff contention. Yeah, and sorry, while you were talking about that, I've, I've had a feeling there's some NHL injuries so I forgot to cover and there was. So uh, a couple of days ago, so St. Louis is a blue goaltender. Uh, Jordan Bennington will not – come in for the remainder of the series against the Avalanche. And then also uh, for the Avalanche, the defenseman Samuel Girard is out for the rest of the postseason due to a broken sternum. So, uh, yeah, he took a big hit a few early in the series that um, didn't look good, and now he'll be out for the rest of the series. And then Brian Russ ended up signing an extension with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. This is their big news. And then I think what we're going to go ahead – and we'll jump into this. This will be the first uh, other topic of the day is this drama that happened a lot last week. But since obviously we haven't uh, put out a podcast, so we didn't get to talk about it as much. And I think it's a pretty interesting topic. And that is the Jimbo Fisher, just this Nick Saban, you know, recruiting controversy that's been going on as of the last, especially as of the last couple weeks. 
And so I just wanted to kind of we'll kind of feel that and kind of say what we're thinking. And I'll go ahead and start it. I'll just say, so basically what happened is they started going back and forth over taking jabs at each other about recruiting. If I remember right, I think it was Saban that started an interview in which he said something about uh, how, you, you know, because there's new regulations where it comes to recruiting. Like, you know, there's been teams who have gotten a lot of trouble for paying recruits to come to their school. And um, and he was saying that Alabama, you know, putting himself on the pedestal, saying that Alabama has never shrunk to the levels of being that low to pay recruits or something that come to their school. And he basically took a shot at uh, uh, Texas A&M and his assist, his former assistant coach Jimbo Fisher, by saying that you know something along the lines of, "Well, we were the second recruiting class, and A and M was the first, and you should see how they recruit, or something like that." I could look up the exact quote later, but um, it was definitely an interesting shot to be taken at, especially as a guy that I was thought he had a lot of respect for being on his coaching staff in the previous years, and it's not like they had a lot of beef. So then obviously Jimbo Fisher had come back with words of his own, defended his program and calling what Saban was saying about his team complete lies and, and then taking kind of some of his own shots at Saban. So it's definitely been kind of interesting to watch um, his uh, kind of – their kind of beef that's going to go on. It's definitely going to set up for an interesting – Alabama versus A&M game this year because there's so much beef going on and with these new I don't know the restrictions or anything because honestly like the way I feel about it and then I'll, I'll come out and see what the way you feel about it is like you know so much people especially as of the last five years maybe more now I guess uh, especially with what Colin Kaepernick had been doing in the NFL people started – some people started to drift away from the NFL. And, like, I talk to people and they're like, oh, I don't watch the NFL anymore because it's too political. And it's like – and I understand the uh, appeal of not wanting politics in sports because it is a um, – it's like it's – I see it as a lot of an escape. And for a lot of people, it's an escape from the real world. Because in the end, sports really – as much as we love it, it's not the end of the, of the world if it were to come to an end even though it is like really important to some people and it's real important to us. I mean, it's, it plays a major role, but you know, in the end of the day, that stuff too, that you, everybody's going to think what they think. So in my opinion, it shouldn't be that hard to ignore that stuff. You know, I mean, you know, it can irritate you if you want, but if you don't want to irritate you, just, you know, accept the fact that people can believe whatever the hell they want. That doesn't mean you have to believe it. Especially these guys are athletes, man. I mean, they didn't spend five, six years in college studying political science or anything like that. You know, they were there for two years and got an athletic scholarship to go there anyway, and now they're playing professional football. So there are people much more educated on issues and stuff and have their ideas, but so you really shouldn't be worried about taking what they think anyway. That's how I feel about it. So it's like when people are like, oh, I don't watch the NFL because it's too political. It's like with the politics of anything that should bother you, it should be the politics of football. If you're not going to watch football, it shouldn't be because of politics, politics, because there's politics everywhere now. And you should just, you know, you can believe what you want to believe, but other people are also allowed to believe what they want to believe. So you should learn to ignore it. But, uh, and it has nothing to do with football. So I understand why you want to add it there, but in the end, learn to ignore it. And then with, uh, the, the, it's like I was saying, the politics that should bother you is the politics of football, 
which is never more evident than in this stuff with college football. I mean, I was the way I put it to the, I was talking to Mo earlier. It's like college football is basically rigged. I mean, there's only probably 15 teams, maybe 20 max that are, have a legit realistic chance at winning a national championship, a division one college national championship in football, especially with the playoff, the way the playoffs are set up. And that's because the way recruiting is set up, players are only going to go to power five schools. And a lot of times only a hand, the best prospects only go to a handful of those power five schools. So schools like mine, like Western Kentucky will never win a national championship because they will never have the ability to get those top recruits barring the something miraculous happens. But like in the next 50 years, I would be willing to put down any amount of money that Western Kentucky would never win a national championship because the way the recruiting class is set up. And I get there's a lot of colleges, but that lies in the problem. It's like you're watching the same seven or eight schools, maybe nine, go to the playoffs and maybe win the national championship. But it's it's literally rigged. In the NFL, the worst teams get the first pick. Anybody can go after any player they want. And – Everybody basically has the same amount of money to do so, you know, and there's, there's more regulations on that. In college football, it's just the best players are going to go to the best schools, and there's only like seven or eight of those. And the NFL, there's 32 teams, and I, believe, I do believe that any of those teams, if they manage their teams right, can win the, the, the Super Bowl, which makes it much more worth watching, which confuses me as to why uh, – people are more interested in college football, even though in my opinion, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's like a very extreme way of putting it is it's rigged. Like that's how I honestly feel. There's like 10 teams are going to get the best players. And so why you would leave the NFL because of the politics, the real politics are involved as opposed to politics that are literally rigging the game. Like it baffles me. It doesn't make sense. No, I'll let you feel that. What, what are your thoughts on kind of how the college recruiting game works or, or kind of maybe what's your thinking on that? Oh, I mean, I think, yeah, you bring up a good point, but I mean, it's kind of like, it's, you can't really brain that it's rigged. It's not really that it's rigged, but it's kind of like this in my thing. I think it's more of like a system kind of thing. It's like, these guys are trying to go to the NFL. And so how are you going to go to the NFL? You can't just shine out a D2 school or a, you know, you want to go shine out at a power five school because that's how you're going to go in the NFL. And that's how you're probably going to get the most amount of money. And so usually that's why those best recruits, like the top, usually 100 recruits are going to power five schools. And most of them, in my opinion, going to an SEC school or maybe like an Ohio State or, you know, some big 10 schools. But the situation also reminds me a little bit of it. I think it might have more a little impact of what's going on in the NFL and now how now it's like free that like these receivers especially as we've seen it this year with receivers but in the past it's been quarterbacks and even offensive linemen that are arguing for a contract that want an extension mid-contract to get more money and I think that that may have an effect on college football that now they're seeing like oh you know you can influence people by giving them more money. And so I would not be shocked if that if they digged into the past. I'm sure you could find plenty of top recruits getting money from the college. I just, you know, it's probably hidden very well. But I think that, you know, in my opinion, I think both of these coaches have something to hide. So I think Saban making this comment is kind of dumb. 
because even if they, I think if they do look deep enough in his past, I mean, they're going to find something, whether, you know, him recruiting someone, because I'm in, you know, it's not like they get all those recruits that all want to go to Alabama. And I think it's the same thing with Texas A&M. I mean, it is a little suspicious that, you know, they had the number one recruiting class, even though they haven't been very successful as of recently. But, I mean, even with Alabama, I think it's a very similar thing. It's like you're getting guys who you're redshirting as freshmen. You could have the opportunity to go to still a D1 school, probably still a Power 5 school, and start at a position. But for some reason, they're wasting two years of their high school sitting behind someone and then coming in, which you could argue gives them the best chance at the draft. But as the NFL draft has shown, uh, scouts like younger talent. So it would make more sense to help your draft stock instead to go and play somewhere, start as a freshman, play as a sophomore, then a junior, then declare that junior year. And that way you still got three years of experience under you. You've been starting in a power five school. And so I just think that it's kind of dumb for Saban to make this comment because um, I mean, they both got something to hide and I think you could argue it's rigged, but I mean, is it really though? Because it's kind of the system. I mean, there's nothing you can, it's nothing you can do to unrig it. Like when I think of the word rigged, I'm thinking like something is do someone or something is doing something like change it and make it towards an advantage but it's that's just how the system works it's not it's like the next step people are always going to be looking for an advantage to get into the NFL and so I don't think you could really consider it rigged as much as that's just the system I mean people are going to go through these schools that have proven that they can get players to the NFL at a higher rate like Alabama LSU Ohio State I mean they're always going to have good recruiting classes because they're it's always, you know, that's always a right choice when compared to like a school that maybe such as Western Kentucky said that, you know, they can get a couple guys to get drafted, but they usually don't have, you know, it's not a home run kind of option, but that's my opinion. Yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point with the way the NFL is turning to in the sense that, and it's making me personally as a fan really upset. I don't like the way it is with, uh, like the way where players are now demanding how much money they're getting. And if they're unhappy with like the millions of dollars getting paid, they think they get paid more. They could just, there's this idea in players' heads now that they, as long as they just sit out for a little bit, they can get any amount of money they want. And I hope something happens so that trend stops. I kind of thought it would happen with the Le'Veon Bell situation when that was going down in New York and um, Pittsburgh. I kind of thought that would bring that to an end, but now it really seems like it is taking off, like that's becoming a new thing, and it's kind of upsetting. I will say in the sense that when I say rig, I guess I'm referring to the system as rigged in the sense that is like um, it's not the player's fault. It's definitely not the player's fault. And arguably it's not the coach's fault either or the recruiting because you're going to recruit the best guys for your team. I guess what I'm saying when I say rigged, and maybe that was a bad choice of words, is like it's not the player's fault because if you're going, if you're a top recruit, your goal is to go to play in the NFL. So where are you going to go play in the NFL? You're going to play at the best schools. So that means that the best players just end up playing at the best schools. So it's less entertaining football when you're watching the same six or seven teams go to the playoffs every year and play for the national championship. At least I think it's less entertaining than like in the NFL – where the worst teams get the first choice for the uh, 
for the new for the newest possibly best players, uh, which makes it more of a level playing field for anybody to win a championship. And I know college football would never be able to change because that's the way, like you said, that's the way the system works. And I understand that's the way the system works. I guess when I said rigged, I meant more the sense that like um, like a it's just a more unfair for some teams, even some power five teams but mainly smaller teams that like, cause your main goal should be to win the national championship. Everybody should. And in the NFL, your goal should be winning the Super Bowl. Those are the two main goals, but in the NFL, anybody can win the Super Bowl. I believe that. I think that's true. It's with uh, some time, but I think in college football, unless you're uh, in a group of about maybe 20 teams, maybe 15, it's an unrealistic, basically virtually impossible goal to win a national championship, which is kind of disappointing to me. So I guess when I was going at it, it was not the players because I can – and the recruits and the coaches because I can completely understand where they're coming from. I mean, you have the best program. You're going to stay the best program if people are going to allow you to be the best program. So I completely understand what they're doing, but it's the fans, I guess, that are making me mad when people say that, you know, oh, I prefer college football opposed to the NFL because of the politics. And I guess that was my main point I was going at, which doesn't have anything to do with the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, really what was going on there. Uh, and I think you're completely right there. I think Nick Saban doing it as, much, as long as he's been coaching for definitely has some old skeletons in the closet that he's burying up. And I, I think it was stupid for him to say something like that. So, uh I, I completely agree with that. I think this just in my mind, uh, you know, when it comes to all this recruiting stuff, sometimes it makes me upset. So then that's where my mind went drawing it to the, you know, the politics. And, and you know, that's what, you know, because now college fans are upset with this and all of the redneck Alabama Crimson Tide fans are going to jump to defend Saban, even though, like you said, I guarantee you he's got some stuff that he, if they really dug into his past about how he's been recruiting, it's not going to – they're not going to find the best of things that he's been doing. So, uh, but anyway, I looked up that game will be A&M at Alabama will be October 8th of next football season. So, that will obviously be a much watch for um, for the season and that rivalry will maybe – which will be make the game more entertaining. Um, but anyway, I think now we'll go ahead and jump – I can go ahead and jump in first to some NHL playoff talk. And let's see where all the series is at to the start it off. Tampa Bay ends up with a sweep of the Florida Panthers 4-0 in a series that I don't think almost anybody saw going like that. Uh, We talked about it on the podcast in that, um, you know, I think the way it went is, Mo, you had more seeing the Florida Panthers winning and I had more of the Lightning. But neither of us expected to be over this quick. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I and now for the Lightning, maybe they can ride this momentum all the way into the next round, especially with them playing either the Canes or the Rangers, who have both been uh, wild cards in the sense that you don't know what to expect. I mean, the Rangers seem to only be winning games at home, and the Panther or sorry, both the Rangers and the and the Hurricanes have looked like they're only really winning games at home. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous how those series have gone. And um, it's been a great series in the the Hurricanes and the Rangers and kind of went like the Boston series in the sense that when it started, I was like, oh, Carolina's going to whip 
you know, their ass, but then, you know, they go back on the road and they can't seem to find a way to win. So it's been kind of crazy. But that Lightning series, I mean, man, it's hard to bet against the Lightning right now. I mean, they look hot. They look good. Everything's starting to click. They just, I mean, just absolutely, not obliterated because some of those games were close, but absolutely proved to the Panthers that they were the better team, which I don't think a lot of people knew going in. So that was a pretty cool series to watch. Um, and, like, it'll be an interesting team to watch. I could see them going to the Stanley Cup final now after the way that series went. Um, One of the things that stood out to me in that series was that, I mean, they only allowed three goals in four games, which I think this Panthers offense was coming in with very high regard. They were very, you know, good at scoring. And I think it was a shock to me to show how well – the Tampa Bay were able to play defensively and I think their goaltender was just outstanding and that's one thing that stood out to me in this series oh yeah I mean um if you watch the series yeah Vasilevsky has I mean the former Vesna winner has been I mean this is some of the, I mean this playoff series especially this past series has been some of best of his career I mean in the last game of the series he made 49 saves alone I mean, it was uh, it was a ridiculous series for him. He's playing the lights out right now, uh, especially with his high scoring as some of these playoff games have been. The fact that he's been the rock and the goal and has let nothing pass him like a wall. I mean, that makes for uh, – I, I mean, I know people like high scoring, but that's made for – I mean, awesome saves in hockey are, I arguably think, just as cool to watch as awesome goals. So uh, to watch him play like that – I mean, it's just awesome to watch, and it's cool for the game. And and if you have a goalie like that, I mean, the sky's the limit for you. You can really go anywhere you want. Um, and then, like, yeah, moving on to that Hurricanes-Rangers series, I mean, it's – like I said, it's basically what's been going on in um, – what, what happened to the Hurricanes in um, – when they played Boston. Sorry, I was uh, – but uh, it's basically the same thing. I mean, the series starts – in um in Carolina, they win game one two one. Uh, then they stay in Carolina. They win game two two zero. Then they go on the road, and they lose three one. And then they lose four one. And now the series is tied at two, and they're going to play again tomorrow. So it's like the Hurricanes Achilles heel is playing on the road. Now good for them is that they're the higher ranked seed in this uh um in this game, so they'll have the game seven at home if it gets there, because they've also been dominant at home, but uh, I can't say that you're going to win the Stanley Cup if you can't figure out a way to win on the road. I mean, it would be a miracle if they ended up winning, so it's been a well-contested, awesome series to watch, but it's just a kind of a crazy theme to watch, just how successful they are at home as opposed to how terrible they can be on the road. So it's definitely a series to uh, keep your eyes on. And, um, you know, I mean, as far as what I think is going to happen, I mean, it's, I really think the Hurricanes are just going to take it in the end. I'm pretty sure I said that last time when we were kind of predicting these series um, because I just don't think they can lose at home. And as long as they don't lose at home the rest of the series, they're going to win the series, being that the game seven's at home. So, uh I really feel like they can't. If they lost at home, I'd be shocked as well as they've been playing at home. It's almost like a completely different team at home versus on the road. 
So uh, I really feel like that series will go to Carolina. And the Rangers, I mean, Shostakovich's been playing his ass off, but uh, and he's been playing very good, like Vasilevsky. And honestly, it'd be awesome to watch Vasilevsky and uh, Shostakovich go at it in the conference finals, you know, battle of the goaltenders there. But um, I don't know if they can figure out a way to win on the road. They've also kind of struggled um, – on the road as well, the Rangers have. So as much as they kind of struggled on the road uh, when they were playing Pittsburgh and now struggling on the road like they are this series, um, I would say it would be hard to say that they can find a way to win that one. And now moving on to the western side of the bracket, uh, the Avalanche have taken a 3-1 lead over the Blues. Um, I think we kind of predicted, and I think that that's the game tonight. That's the 7 o'clock game tonight. Um in Colorado, uh, Avalanche having a chance to close out the series. Uh, down 3-1, I'd say it's very hard for the Blues to find a way to win this series. But I will give the Blues a lot of credit. I feel like they have played, you know, some of the best hockey. I mean, definitely way – sorry, way over-exceeded my expectations for them. I mean, I expected this series – I mean, if it's 4-1, it basically was a sweep – but some of these games that they played had been very um, – oh, I mean, the high-scoring games, I mean, the last game was 6-3. So, but, like, you know, those accounts for empty netters and, um, and some of those. But the Blues haven't – I mean, the game they won, they won by three goals. And, uh, the, I mean, game one, they only lost by one. So, it's been a well-contested series. The, I've been very impressed with the Blues' defense. Um the loss of Bankton hurts. I mean, that dude is so such an ex, uh, such a factor in that game. So it's hard to say that that doesn't make a difference because obviously it does, especially you know with them losing like six three and five three. I think the air score was so losing Bennington was a huge loss for them. Maybe if he stays in, they can pull out another game. I I. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's virtually impossible for them to come back in the series. I mean, with the way the who the Avalanche are and how good they are. But man, I give the Blues a lot of credit because, like I said, losing that goalkeeper maybe have lost in the series. I think they would have lost anyway with him in, but definitely some more well contested series uh, if he's in. My what? See, I, do you agree that the kind of the loss of that goaltender there may have been kind of? I'll, I'll phrase it like this: Do you think if Bennington stays in that? they win the series? Uh, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you know, like you said, it'd be absurd to not say that he's not a factor there, but I just couldn't see him winning this series. I feel like game one was kind of one of those things where, I mean, they was an OT game. I feel like they were just, you know, they had a week break and they're just coming off of, you know, the, the sweep to the predator. So they're a little, Loose and they're able to. The Avs were, in my opinion, lucky to take away that game. It looked like the Blues should have won it. Game two, I think, very similar. They're like, oh, we won game one, and then they just got, you know, blown out in game two. And I think like three and four has shown that I think they are clearly the better team. And so I think if Bennington did come back, I mean, there's a chance they could win one game most, but I think they would take the series in six. I think it would be hard to see them win the series, especially. Now that they're down three one, and I mean, even if he was in the game, the last game when he got hurt, I mean, the opportunities the Avalanche had, I just think they would have been very difficult to impossible saves, and 
I feel like they're just hitting their stride right now. And then, as we've seen, when they hit their stride, they can be a very dangerous team. I mean, yeah, they've been playing ridiculous. I mean, when you got that, you know, some of the names that they do, McCarr and McKinnon and the guys they have, it's just, I mean, it's just too much. It's like playing, almost like playing an all-star team. They're so good. So, yeah, I, I agree. If Finnington would be able to play tonight and play the rest of the series, maybe they pull out a game or two. But in the end, I think even for Bennington, the Avalanche are too much. And like like we predicted earlier, I think they're going to advance. And then the other series, the last series, which has really been kind of the eye-opening series for me because I didn't watch the Oilers really play the Kings. I mean, one, because we live in Central Time and those games came on so late. And really, I i mean, we talked about the Oilers coaching situation before. And in my head, I kind of jumped to the fact that they just can't do it. But evidently, I forgot about one name that you can't ever forget about in hockey, and that is uh, Connor McDavid. I mean, honestly, I will admit I haven't watched a lot of Connor McDavid uh, because, I mean, I don't watch a lot of the Oilers, I guess. And maybe that's because they play later or whatnot. But um, And I think, honestly, this – part of the bracket has been kind of a turnoff like I don't really want to watch because I believe the Avalanche are so good and I still believe they're so good I'd be shocked if they didn't go to the finals but man the way the Edmonton Oilers have been playing that line of Drastel, uh, Kane and McDavid I mean that's uh, right now I would say that is the greatest line in hockey and to be able to watch that line versus the Avalanche's first line possibly in the next um next series in the conference finals is going to make that game a much watch. And the, uh, even the way Mike Smith has been playing, I mean, old Smitty, the veteran coming out and playing. I mean, cause the funny thing was they were saying in that game is that um, Mike Smith hasn't played 10 consecutive games, in you know, like however many years a while, but I tell you what, he's been playing a bunch of consecutive games and every game he just seems to be getting better. He's making awesome saves. His puck handling has been amazing. I mean, he's a guy that really, for the Oilers, has been a major role in the success they've had. But yeah, I mean, like I said, watching, I haven't watched a lot of Connor McDavid, if we're being honest. I mean, we didn't start watching hockey, but really, I haven't seriously watched hockey since about four, maybe five years ago. So I've really gotten into it. Uh, more as of recently and to watch him play I mean watching McKinnon play I think is awesome and so I've seen him a little bit more because they play the Predators more it seems because of the division and it seems like every year we the Preds face him in the playoffs but um, I mean watching McDavid that guy is just like I mean he's like an artist on skates and he can find creases no one else can and the way that line is clicking is scary for any team they're playing. I mean, they're up in the series 3-1 right now, and the Flames are no teams to sleep on. Um, but uh, the way that the Oilers are playing, I would say it's it would be – I mean, that 3-1-2, it would be hard, if not impossible, for the Flames to come back in that series. That game will be tomorrow at about 8.30. But, I mean, I'm, it's a late game, I know, but uh, if you've got nothing else to do, I mean, you've got to watch – just watch that. Whenever that first line comes on the ice, that McDavid Kane uh, draft line, you have to watch because it's like it's just a different breed of hockey. I mean, it's it's crazy to watch. I mean, it just makes very entertaining hockey. Um, and I think that's gonna yeah, like I like I said, I'm sorry. I do think the Oilers. I think they close out that series in the next game. 
And if it's not in the next game, it's 100% the game after that because they are clicking right now. Mike Smith is clicking. I mean, barring something crazy happening, I that series, I think, is basically over the way, the momentum wave, the, the huge momentum wave that the Oilers are riding right now. And I can't – I mean, if they do win, watching that Avalanche Oilers series, I think would be awesome to watch the battle of those first two – first lines and then watching the battle of Kemper versus Smith again would be awesome. So, um, yeah, I think that wraps up all the NHL talk that I have. So I think we'll jump over to Mo for some of the NBA action that we've had going on. Uh, so first I'm going to start with last night's game, and I'm just going to kind of recap the series since it's been a little bit. And so in game one, it clearly the Warriors showed they're the better team. They crushed them. Game two, it wasn't as bad. The Warriors still took a win. And then game three, it was in single digits, but the Warriors still took the win. And then the Mavs were able to take one in game four at Dallas. And so I think, I mean, the Mavs are looking better and better each game when I've seen them watch, when I've seen them play. And uh, this game, this is one I really want to look at to see. I think it would be hard for the Mavericks to win this series, especially since they dug themselves in such a deep hole. And as we've seen, especially in that Grizzly series, uh, the Warriors are such a good shooting team that, I mean, they're going to eventually take a game. It's just a matter of time. And I feel like you look at this game, I mean, every single person in the Warriors starting lineup had a negative plus minus, which is very hard to overcome. And like I said, I mean, Luca's going to need help to win games. And it, I mean, Finney Smith gave him a little help. Uh, Bullock gave him a little help. But I mean, it, he basically had to do it all. I mean, he had 30 points, nine assists, and 14 rebounds. I mean, he basically had a triple double. And so I think, especially game five going to Golden State, I think the series will end there. I believe that's tomorrow night. I feel like it would be very hard for the Mavs to take another one, especially since it's going to be in Golden State. They're going to have momentum. They're going to want to make it to the finals again and play the winner of the Heat-Celtics matchup. But I feel like, uh, I mean, the Mavericks are able to pull up against the upset against the Suns, but I feel like the Warriors are just, they're kind of like a different monster, you know. They, I feel like they, I mean, the Suns have veteran talent, but I mean, the Warriors have some of the most experienced guys in the league when coming to playoff ball and Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry, of course. I mean, we've seen what those two guys can go do in the playoffs. And even Draymond Green, we've seen how good he is defensively during the playoffs. And so I just think it would be very hard for the Mavericks to win another one in this series. And I feel like they'll get eliminated next game. Now going on to the more interesting series, in my opinion, is – this Celtics Heat series, which is tied at two all, I believe. Yeah, Game Five is going to be in Miami, and at, it looks like they split each other at um both places. So it looks like the home court advantage has not really been a factor in this one, uh, and it's kind of been, I mean, kind of a bunch of blowouts. If I'm being honest with you, I mean. Three of the four games by double digits. I mean, the Heat took one by six in game three. And, I mean, this is a very good matchup. I feel like the winner of this can def- will definitely win the finals. But, I mean, the Warriors are looking hot. But I think 
these two are definitely the best teams. I feel like they have the most talent on their rosters. And I feel like they both have superstars in the Celtics being Tatum, the Heat being Jimmy Butler, who has played really well. And I feel like it would be hard to see one of these teams losing. But I don't know who's going to win this series, to be honest with you. Personally, I'm going to stick with my pick, which was the Heat. Uh, I'm in Tower Hero is day-to-day, P.J. Tucker's day-to-day, Lowry's day-to-day. So, I mean, they do have a bunch of injuries. But I think if those guys can come back, I feel like the Heat will be able to take this. I do feel like it will go to a Game 7. But um, I feel like it would be hard for the Celtics to take this one because I feel like the Heat are such uh, have been on a streak as of recently. And it would be hard for the Celtics to come back. I mean, the series is tied 2-2. And I feel like tonight's game will really show who's going to take the series. If someone's able to be, I mean, game five, in my opinion, is could be definitely the most important game of a series. Because I feel like that's a turning point. Because then you're just one game away. And, you know, that can devastate a team. And looking at the game that happened uh, a couple nights ago, the most recent game, a blowout by the Celtics. The Heat only putting up 82 points. And let's just say it did not look good for that starting lineup. I mean, Jimmy Butler was held to six points, which is not what you want to see in an all-star. Bam was held to single. I mean, no one in their starting lineup had double digits. I mean, the only reason they are able to keep the game so close was Oladipo coming off the bench and dropping 23. But then, of course, you look at the Celtics. Really, no one scoring besides, I mean, Tatum did his thing, as usual, dropped 31. And I just feel like the Celtics defense is really well in this game. And if they can keep that up, uh, they'll definitely be able to win the series. But I just don't think they will. I feel like the Heat will eventually gather together, winning in this game five, take this game five, and take back the momentum in the series as they had in the beginning. Because I just feel like they're the better team. But I definitely feel like the winner of this series will win the whole thing. Do you have any thoughts on these two games? Oh, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, you nailed the – I completely agree on the Golden State-Dallas series. I mean, I feel like the one question for me that loomed in that series was that if uh, Luka can carry that team to the – like if he can really put that team on his back, I mean, maybe possibly they have a shot. And I feel like game three basically proved that even in Luka at his best is not enough to beat the Warriors – um, when he scored 40 points in that game, and they still lost. So I feel like that, to me, was all the proof I needed to see that Golden State's clearly going to win that series uh, probably the next game. Um, but, then, yeah, like you said, the Miami-Boston series has really been kind of funny. I haven't watched much of it, but in the games I have watched, it's funny in the sense that, like, to me, it seems like you can almost always – because, like, the blowouts, like you said, and in blowouts, typically – you can tell very early which team is probably going to win because they come out hot. And, yeah, like you said uh, earlier, basketball is a game of uh, streaks where teams go back and forth. But in these sometimes in these games, a lot of times it's been like one team is very dominant throughout the game. And even if they start to lose a lead, they still keep that lead. And you kind of know from the beginning that they're going to win the game. So, but with the, but it, But it's gone both ways. We're both teams. And most of the games. So it's kind of interesting to see that, like, and like you said, the series has been split at home. So in that sense, the sense has been awesome to watch because every time you sit down to watch the game, even though it's going to be blown, you never know who's going to maybe get blown out um, because you have to wait for maybe that first half of the first quarter and even the whole first quarter to really know 
But then after that first quarter, you might know it's like, oh, look at that. The Celtics are hot today. They're going to win this one. Well, look at that. The Heat are hot. They're going to win that. So it's just like you really don't know what to expect when it comes to that series. And that just made it, I mean, a crazy series to watch. And it'll be all just a – I have no idea really how it's going to finish. I think – I agree with you. I think the Heat are too much. And I think they're going to be – um just too much in the end for the Celtics to be able to uh, to handle. So I think they have the talent to win. But like I said, I mean, I really it's good. It's an awesome series, and it's just going to come down to probably who's going to want it more is going to be the people that are the guys that end up winning the game. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you, and I feel like this is definitely one of those series where. You're able to tell straight out the gate in that first quarter who's going to have the hot hand and who's going to win the game. And, uh, I mean, I feel like that especially in today's NBA, that's very, you know, I feel like it's shown more common than it used to be. There's not as much close games as there is at, like, halftime. It's a blowout, and then you're, you know, that's usually when the momentum switches. And basketball is such a game of momentum and confidence, I feel like, more than other games just because, I mean, if you're feeling hot and you just – it feels like you're unstoppable. You can shoot any shot. I mean, we've seen, you know, a great example of that is like game six, Clay Thompson that everyone jokes around. It's like, I mean, we've seen when he has the confidence to shoot the ball and he believes he can't miss. I mean, you know, that just puts an other team basically – I mean, they basically can just put them away. And I feel like that's why basketball is such a game of confidence. Because once you got three or four guys on the court at a time who have that confidence, they're going to compete to their best ability. And that's just so hard to stop on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. And so, uh, yeah, I think that'll kind of – there's a couple of things I want to hit on and we can do a little conversation just because it's some news that I forgot to uh, – that I didn't say at the beginning. Uh, one of those things – um, and I kind of want to get your quick take on it as we get to the last few minutes of this is uh, head coach of the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, said that he expects Jimmy Garoppolo to be traded, but nothing is guaranteed and that the shoulder surgery he had is putting everything on hold. So that's kind of one thing I wanted to before we get out of here to kind of get your thoughts on maybe what you think of the, the Niners quarterback situation. If Jimmy G, you think Jimmy G getting out of there is what's best for them. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm just going to try to say, I'm not a big Jimmy G guy, but um, I mean, he has shown that he has led that team to success and a couple uh, to an NFC championship. Uh, but I just think that it's his time. I mean, they drafted Trey Lance at such a high position for a reason. They believe he's the future. And you just don't want to see him end up like almost like a Jordan Love. He's been sitting behind the same guy for three years and then, and free agency probably has a good choice to, you know, he'll probably move somewhere else. So I think some people argue that Lance needs two seasons, but most of the good quarterbacks, such as Mahomes, I mean, they come off one season. They see how a veteran gets it done, and I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo did his job. He's a good mentor. But now it's time. It's time for a new San Fran team, especially with the downfall of the Seahawks. And I feel like this – Hopkins suspension could lead to a very underwhelming Cardinal season. And, uh, I mean, that gives a position. I mean, the Rams, of course, are going to be great. But that gives a position for the Niners to, you know, be top 10 in the division and potentially get a wild card spot and make a playoff run. 
And I feel like Trey Lance in the games he has played, he has shown that. I mean, he's shown that he's still, he was still a rookie, still a young quarterback. He makes mistakes, but he's shown that he's very athletic and that when he's on his game, he's very hard to stop. And I think that's another reason, you know, and maybe that could help Debo out a little bit too, you know, instead of using him as a running back or more at handoff, such as using with Jimmy G. I mean, you know, maybe he fits uh, Trey Lance's play style more and that kind of like running gun and kind of, you know, I know he has a strong arm and that he's also able to scramble. But, yeah, I think it's the best decision to hopefully trade him or at least let Trey Lance start off the season. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Lance is the best choice. This works out perfect for them. He got to sit behind a guy who was in that Patriot system, has learned from the best in Tom Brady, sat down, now hand him the reins, get Garoppolo out of there, give him a chance. Who knows, maybe they can be uh, with that good defense they've had and as much success as they've had with a quarterback like Garoppolo. They can probably find more success with uh, with um, with Trey Lance at the helm. And I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you in the next one.